Well, I'm going to begin reading several texts, several verses from the Gospel of John this morning, so you can turn there. And let me just mention this at the outset, that my subject is also relating to uh, the Holy Spirit, as you'll see. But I want you to keep this in mind, that sometimes we get uh, so binary in our thinking that when you hear one person say one thing and you hear another person say something that doesn't uh, sound exactly like the other person, you think it's either or. Remember this, there are truths that are both and, okay? So don't think that what I am saying, anything in this message is being said to contradict anything that you just heard, those of you who are here in the first hour. Uh, So that's a concept that I think that you can apply to many different truths in Scripture, because truths have been presented in different ways in Scripture under different light, different context. And so let's not get so simplistic in our thinking to think that it's just this or it's just that. I hope that helps you. Uh, as you're listening uh, to, the, to the preaching, uh, especially within the context of a, of, a, of a church like this, we're not all, we're not monotone. And that's a good thing, uh, so long as the tones that are being presented are tones of truth that are coming from Scripture, okay? There's a whole lot said in the Bible about the Holy Spirit. There are several prophecies in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 36 and 37, Yahweh says, I will give you. I will put my spirit, not give, I will put my spirit within you. And then you come to the New Testament. And there are only three New Testament books that do not directly refer to the Holy Spirit. Second and third John and Philemon. The New Testament is full of the expression, direct references to the Holy Spirit and teachings about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is not a, a minor key in Christianity. And I think sometimes because of movements that have gone astray, that have gone into a ditch, and there has been this glorification of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit never intended. It is not of the Holy Spirit. And so we need to be, but we need to be careful that in our response to that, we're not reactionary. That's often what Christianity is full of, is reactionary. And that's what causes sects, S-E-C-T-S, to grow up within Christian circles who have, who have who have sought to emphasize something that they feel like has not been emphasized. And so, and so everything is about that thing. And so there are those who everything is about the Holy Spirit. But I hope that to be able to show you that where you find the Holy Spirit, you're going to find something very different from a glorification of the Holy Spirit. So let me begin reading in John 14. In verses 15 through 18, we're going to, 
I'm going to just. This is God's word. What I, these are not my words. So we need to listen to what God says. And in fact, these are the words of the word himself. If you love me, keep my commandments. Some translations will say, you will keep my commandments. He says that later. And I will pray the Father, and He will give you another Helper, also translated Comforter, or an Aid, or a Succorer. These are all translations of this word, Helper. You're familiar with the word Paraclete. That's the word here. That He may abide with you forever. Not just a force. As folks like the the Jehovah's Witnesses believe. There's a force in the world. He's a he. He may abide with you. How long? The spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. I thought about this as I was preaching out on the street. Yesterday, and I was speaking about the Spirit, and I'm thinking, they can't see Him. They don't know Him. But I'm still going to talk. I'm still going to tell them. They can't see Jesus either, and don't know Him. They can't see the Father either, and don't know Him. But I'm still going to talk. I'm still going to speak. But you know Him, for He dwells with you, and will be in you. I'll not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we, father and son, we will come to him and make our home, our abode, our home with him. Verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. This is specifically spoken to the apostles who were the foundation of the church, who were the ones used to not only proclaim, but to record the things that Jesus said. And the Holy Spirit would bring all of those things to their remembrance. They would write them. But this is also applicable to you and me who are reading those words. It is just as important as we'll see that we have the Holy Spirit as did the apostles who recorded the words that we read. Chapter 15. And verse 26. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the father. So he's he's speaking. Jesus knows what's coming. His exodus from this world is coming. And he's going to go back to his father. Right? And that's what he prays in John 17. That's what's going to happen. And he's going to send. I shall send to you from the father. The father will give to him. He will send. We'll see that later. The spirit of truth who proceeds from the father. He will testify of me. Chapter 16. Beginning of verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, because after all, he is the truth. There's the spirit of truth. Jesus says, I am also the truth. Right. And the father is also the truth. 
Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. And Jesus says, I only speak the things that the Father speaks, and the Spirit only speaks the things that the Son speaks, and the Father speaks. You see, this is a triune God here. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. When he has come into the world, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. And if you do not believe in him, you are still under the the sin. And so he convicts of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more. And you need the righteousness that only I can give you. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. And that's what took place on the cross I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, or the old King James says, of himself, which sometimes people translate that to mean he won't talk about himself. Well, that's not really the point. The point is he's not going to say things that are in disagreement with the Father or the Son, that He's going to say what is given to Him from them. But whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will tell you things to come. He's going to fill it all out. And so the rest of the New Testament is the filling out of what has not yet been told. He will glorify Me, for He will take of what is Mine, And declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. I'm not going to be able to uh, camp as much as I might like to on certain points that are going to be made this morning. Because of the time. I, I want to present this within a time frame that you're able to bear. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot pair them now. There may be a lot of things that I, I would like to say, but he was speaking of a different kind of bearing here. But you may not be able to bear everything that I would like to unbear to you about the subject. As I said, the New Testament is full of this subject. We focused last week upon the purpose of the incarnation. And I might want to go into a recapping of that. But it was as I was studying that, the incarnation, which is God in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, God manifesting himself, the Father manifesting himself through the Son, bringing sinners into a right relationship, an inseparable relationship of love with God. That, that, and you heard some of that in the last hour, but that's, that was the mission of Jesus. But what struck me from my preparation for last week's message was the significance of the Holy Spirit, not only in the initial incarnation, you know, the the Holy Spirit formed the child in the womb, right? The body in the womb. The Holy Spirit participated in that union of God and humanity In the person of Jesus Christ. But not only was he significant in that, 
you see that he was significant in the whole of Jesus' earthly ministry. And so the Son of God, the God-man, not only did he live in unbroken communion with his Father and the Spirit in the unity of their divine nature, but he lived as God-man with dependence upon and communion with the Spirit. God-man, Jesus, was anointed by the Spirit. And just to race ahead, and maybe in, at least in my mind, that's exactly what John says in 1 John chapter 2, that we're anointed. And with that same Spirit with which the God-man was anointed, we, we, we heard Michael read that at the opening this morning. And thank you, Michael, for the reference even in, to, to, in your prayer to Luke 4. Because there we do hear that Jesus says, Isaiah was talking about me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This day, today, the Scriptures fulfilled in your hearing. But what stood out to me again in Luke chapter 4 is this. Earlier in verse 1, Jesus said, Then Jesus, this is, this is Luke's commentary, being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit. Are you racing ahead in your mind a little bit? This is the God-man. This is, this, is, this is the Son of God being led by the Spirit. In verse 14, we read that Jesus returned to Galilee In the power of the Spirit. In Luke chapter 10 and verse 21, Luke says that he rejoiced in the Spirit. You heard that. I think that was what you were referencing in the last hour. He rejoiced in the Spirit. In Matthew 12, 28, Jesus said that he cast out demons by the Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 1 and verses 1 and 2, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up after he, Jesus, threw the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. And then later in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38, Peter said, how speaking Of Jesus, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Who, under the power of the Holy Spirit, He went about doing good. Yes, He is love. And yes, He was full of love as well. And the power and all that is intended by that thought. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now on the eve before his crucifixion, Jesus spoke the words that we read. John 14, John 15, John 16. It's clear. He made it clear to his disciples that they would experience his presence with them by the same spirit that was with him. And so that epic day of Pentecost, 
a lot of things can be said about it. But that epic day of Pentecost was the initial evidence that the ascended God-man was indeed with the Father as He sent the Holy Spirit for the life and power of His kingdom through His church in this age. Sometimes we call Acts the Acts of the Apostles. It might be also called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Because that's exactly what's emphasized in the book of Acts. In Acts 2, 32 and 33, Peter preaching said, This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. How do you know He ascended? How do you know His sacrifice was accepted? How do you know that? Of course, you could say we have the Word of God. And so we believe what the Scriptures say. But do you understand that that is one of the primary reasons that the Holy Spirit was sent? As a testimony to the reality that the Father was satisfied with the Son and the promise that was promised is now being given, you see. And the evidence was clear in the speaking in tongues and all of the evidences that were profoundly obvious in that first generation. And so the Holy Spirit sent from the Father and Son is vital to the experience of the salvation accomplished by the Son, the God-man, the man, Christ Jesus. He has not left us to ourselves. He has not left His... He didn't just redeem His people and leave us to ourselves. He has come to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. God's salvation is not... Theoretical. It is not merely positional. I'm not denying the positional aspect, but it is not merely positional. He comes to us by His Spirit to make salvation personal and practical. He dwells in us. Okay? Think about this. We're not, if you're a believer, you're not waiting for Him to indwell you. Now again, this doesn't cancel out what has been said earlier. I'm just saying to you, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, or do you not know? Believer, do you know? I mean, he said, or do you not know? That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who not will be in you, but is in you. Whom you have from God and you are not your own. In the second letter, chapter 6 of Corinthians, verse 16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then 1 John 2.27, the first part. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you. 
First John four thirteen. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And the very next verse speaks of God His love. The verse before it says, "No man has seen God at any time." So this is a, a bunch of invisibility unless the Spirit who is God, comes to us and makes it apparent. Brings visibility to that which is otherwise invisible. And so new covenant life and ministry is dependent upon the presence of the Spirit in the people of God. And this is what I want to emphasize in this message. I'm not going to take time to defend the deity and personality of the Holy Spirit. He is eternal with the Father and Son. He did not begin when He was sent at Pentecost. When John says something to the effect uh, that, that for He was not yet. Remember that? Talking about the Holy Spirit. He was not yet. Uh, the King James uh, uh, supplies. He was not yet given. It's in crooked letters. That He was not yet, but that is the idea. The Holy Spirit didn't begin at Pentecost. But it is obvious. If you just simply read the Scriptures, put away the books, read the Scriptures. It is obvious from Scripture that His presence and power in the world increased exponentially from Pentecost on. In fact, someone has said, He is referred to so much in the New Testament, it's as if He didn't exist in the Old Testament era. Which we know He did. And there are references, sufficient references to Him in the Old Testament. But we know He's God. So He is eternal. And though He deflects attention from Himself, who does He... Somebody said He's... Self-deprecating. He, he reflects attention to who? The Son and the Father. And though that is true, and sometimes there are those who put so much emphasis on that, they de-emphasize the Holy Spirit. Though that is true. I'm going to make a statement here that maybe you've not considered, maybe you have, but we would have no salvation apart from the Holy Spirit. We would have no fellowship with God apart from the Holy Spirit. We would have no likeness of Christ in us apart from the Holy Spirit. That's how important He is. The biblical Christian life simply does not exist and cannot be lived apart from the Holy Spirit. He is not an add-on for those who want to be super saints. And sometimes these, th- these thoughts are more uh, lively in our, in our minds than at other times. But when we're really aware of that, we are constantly, constantly looking for His aid. He is the helper, right? He is the aid. He's the helper. He's the comforter. He, we need Him. I'm addressing believers this morning. Primarily, if you're an unbeliever, I want you to listen because this is good. And this is what you may be brought into. 
And so I want you to know it. But let me begin here. And these are, I hope they're not seen as disjointed thoughts. I hope they do go together. But I'm not going to be able to, I don't, I'm not intending to belabor these points. But just to give an overview, sort of a survey, I suppose we could say, if you are born again, you have experienced the presence of the Spirit. You have. Otherwise, you would never have been convicted of your sin to the point of turning to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Now, you may not have known that. I mean, where did that conviction come from? Where did that sense come from? Where did that sight of Christ come from? Where did the glory of the cross, where, what is it? What, who, where did that come from? You may not have known it. But I'm telling you, if you're born again, it was the Holy Spirit that you were experiencing. You were dead in trespasses and sin. It was by the word of Christ that the Spirit gave you life. Jesus said in John 6.63, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And those are the very words that the Spirit of God brings to life. Second Corinthians 3 and verse 6. I encourage you to read the whole chapter on the subject of the ministry of the Spirit in the New Covenant. Second Corinthians Corinthians 3 and verse 6, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. Not of, I think you used the word textbook, not, not of just the text, not just the letter. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Life. Through the letter, through the text, but not separated from the life giver. It is the Holy Spirit who's shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 8 and 9, I won't, for sake of time I won't turn there, but walk as children of light. You were darkness, but something has happened. You have been given, the very next verse says, you've been given The Spirit. Now, the newer translations actually put the word light in there instead of spirit because there's a textual variant there. But think about it. Where does light come from? I mean, Jesus says, I I am the light. And then he says, you are the light in the world. Where does that come from? It's from the Spirit in us who is the Spirit of Christ. Many saw the physical face of Jesus when he walked on earth and did not believe. Jesus told Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Why do you believe and others don't? The very fact that you believe in the God-man and call Him Lord is evidence of the Spirit in you. 1 John chapter 4. Verses 14 and 15, and we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. We've seen it. He was an eyewitness. We've testified it. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him by the Spirit and he in God. 
Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3, Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit who gives this spiritual life. Let's move a little further. It's the Holy Spirit in you that brings the reality of God, the Father and Son to your soul. As you read or hear the Scriptures that are given by the Spirit. What is the only objective revelation of God that we have in Scripture? There's been times where in my mind I've sort of walked in the flesh. And I've sort of looked for other evidences and I'm thinking, how can I, how can I combat some of the things I'm hearing in the world? And then it all of a sudden dawns on me, wait a minute. I can't know what I know of God without His revelation. And where has He revealed that? In these words. In the Scripture. But brethren, how does this ancient written Word become real and alive and impact your soul? So that, and I, I could hear as you were praying, brother, that your reading of Psalm, uh, Isaiah 61 wasn't just textbook. You saw something in there, didn't you? Saw something that was very real, something that was very applicable. Where did that come from? How does it become more than an archaic record that may interest you, but has no real life-giving impact? It's a dead letter. Someone said, and I agree with this person. I'm not going to say who said it. I don't agree with everything the person said. But he said this. Just to let you know, these aren't my words. Without the Holy Spirit, God is distant. Come, Holy Spirit. Right? I can't stand it that you're... That's what you were saying. God is distant. Christ is in the past. I believe He lived. I believe He walked. I believe... But that's... That's where you leave Him. In the past. The Gospel is a dead letter. The church is simple organization. Authority is domination. Mission is propaganda. I came home last night from being downtown with all the people down there and Aaron down there preaching and I... I'll admit, I didn't feel this way while I was down there, but when I came home, my mind reflected back upon the multitudes. And it was as if in that moment, I was relating with Jesus who wept over Jerusalem and I was broken in my spirit. And I literally did weep. And you didn't see it, so it wasn't a show. I'm just telling you about it. Maybe I shouldn't. But I'm just wanting you to know that we can do mission. It's just propaganda. We're just, you know, we, we've got an agenda. But it's not really making 
our God and His Gospel known. Because we have a compassion for souls. And then this guy concludes, and Christian action is the morality of slaves. Oh, Paul understood the necessity of the Holy Spirit to bring the Word to life, didn't he? And for sake of time, I'm not going to read all the Scriptures, but I think you're familiar with them. First Thessalonians 1.5, when he went to the Thessalonians, he said that the Word came to them, not in Word only, but in power and in the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians chapter 2 Verses 4 and 5, and really the the rest of the chapter, Paul is making it known that it was under the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't come with wisdom of words. If I can just craft this just right, then they'll get it. Anathema to that thinking. The only way... I am going to get the Word, or you are going to get it, or others are going to get it, is if the Holy Spirit brings it to you. If He is the, he is the revealer, you see. He's, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10, but God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. Paul understood his dependency upon the Spirit to reveal the revelation to the hearts of men to have more than a lifeless, formal religion. You see, you can have a knowledge of Scripture that is academic. You know that already. Because many of us have had that. And you can have a knowledge of Scripture that is superficial. I'm just satisfied with just the, just the bare facts. That's all I want. Superficial. But brethren, the Holy Spirit of God illuminates Scripture to your soul in such a way that it profoundly affects you. He causes the truth to live in you. He causes you to know that what you're reading is true. After all, who is He? He's the Spirit of truth. So it isn't simply that everything that's recorded is true. The Spirit gives you that sense, that conviction, informs that faith that He gives you that this is true. I can trust it. And He does, as you heard, at least some in the last hour, He assures your heart that you really are a child of God. God wants you to know love with everlasting love. And so the Son came into the world that every believer would have the position, the status, as some like to call it, of sons of God. And had He not come, the Spirit would have had nothing to bring to you. But the Son did do what He did. And then the Spirit comes that we might experience the blessings of sonship. Not just so that we might have an idea that it is so, but that in our souls we are assured that it is so. And this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. 
And so Paul writes, and we're, you can turn to Romans 8. We're going to spend most of the rest of our time in this chapter. But he says, and this is just a cursory view of these things, but he says in verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Not just the idea of adoption. Yes, you are the child of God. Yes, you are in the family of God. Yes, that is true. But you have been given the Spirit so that you might actually experience what is true. You see. And here, that experience is, and there's a lot of things that could be said about that, and I'm not going to go into it. But here he says, you've received the Spirit of adoption by whom? You see, by whom is the Spirit? We cry out, Abba, Father. Understand this. That's exactly what Jesus, the God-man, cried out when He was in the garden. Remember? Not in the garden. Yes, the garden of Gethsemane. You remember that? Weighed down, burdened, under the weight of what faced Him. Groaning with groanings that you and I really know nothing about to that degree. And it was there that He actually said, Abba, Father, do you understand that in union with Christ, the Spirit, and the Spirit is the one who brings us into that union, but Christ is in union with us, the Spirit in us, and He, he is the one who... When's the last time you said, Abba, When is the last time you related to God, your Father? Not a distant deity. Not somebody that just seems, I don't know, he's just way out there somewhere. But you were brought near to Him. That's the Spirit. That's what He does. One of the True evidence is that the Spirit of God is in you and brings assurance to your soul is that you are able, you are not just to say the words. It's kind of like, you know, you can't say uh, Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. Well, yeah, you can. Right? I mean, you can utter words. But that's not what he's saying. There's not a soul in this room that can't say, Abba, Father. That's not what he's saying. You actually are going to him because you know him in that relationship. And that's the work of the Spirit. And sometimes, sometimes it does feel like he's way off in Never Never Land. And he is not near. And I'm telling you, my own experience here is that in those dark times is when I cry like never before. Abba, Father. Why? Why don't I just, why don't I just go away? Why don't I just go on my Mary? Why don't I just say it's a joke? Others have done that. Why don't I just say, well, I was brainwashed. I was raised in a Christian home and that's really not true. I'm going after something. Why don't, why haven't I done that? Do you think it's never crossed my mind? But I haven't. And it's not because of me. It's because of the Holy Spirit. 
that I cry out, Abba, Father. And by the way, it's not just when you're low. It's when you're high. It's when there is are those incredible feelings and emotions that are stirring within you. He is your Abba then as well, isn't He? You say, Abba, Father. And He helps us. I'm saying the Holy Spirit helps us when we pray. In that same chapter, verses 26 and 27, you know what it's like. Sometimes people will say, Pastor, would you pray for me and fill in the blank? And I say, sure, I'll pray for you. And then I go to pray. And sometimes I have to say, Father, I don't have a clue what to say. I don't know how to pray. Who is it that helps me? The Holy Spirit. Verses 26 and 27. He, 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 those groanings. Those things that I don't know how to express. I just know there's a need. And I'm not sure. What specific request to make? Sometimes I can't even pray. But the Holy Spirit can. Just like Jesus did when He was on the earth. He prayed. And just like Jesus said to Peter, I am praying for you. We have a, a mediator who is praying for us. By the way, that's in Romans chapter 8 as well. Verse 34, is it? Yeah, he's at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. The Spirit, the Son. And you know what the Holy Spirit does? I'm saying he illumines. He brings light. And he enables us to see him whom we've never physically seen. And there is something, you know what it's like, that rush into your soul. You're talking about when this happens, I don't know, it can't happen without some emotion, I can tell you. And, and sometimes it's just weeping and not weeping for sorrow, but weeping for joy. That you are interceding for me. The Holy Spirit igniting the reality, the truth, and even that faith. That is in you. Remember what Jesus said. He will glorify me. And then. Oh how assured we are in our hearts. How assured we are in our hearts. When the Holy Spirit comes in that way. But then I just briefly touch on this. It is the Spirit who enables us to live as Jesus lived. We're not living hellish lives ungodly, unholy lives and the Holy Spirit's just pouring in love. That's not what's going on. Right? No, we, we in fact are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Romans chapter 8. But how can we possibly live like Christ? Is that expected? In 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6, John says, walk just as he walked. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21, Peter says that he was an example that we should follow his steps in suffering. He's talking about suffering there. Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse 12, he said to his disciples, I want as I have loved you. You love one another. 
And you remember when he washed the disciples' feet? When he washed the disciples' feet, he said, I've given you an example. Do as I have done. And then Paul kind of picks up on that in Philippians 2. And he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Jesus and I, I, I told Aaron when he touched on that a couple of weeks ago, I was sitting there thinking, it just overwhelmed me. I can't do that. How in the world are we going to be able to live as Jesus lived? I'll tell you how. It is only by the life-giving power of the same Spirit who raised Him from the dead, who was with Him, and upon whom He depended in His earthly Ministry, it is only that life that lives in us now that we will be able to represent Jesus in this world. And after all, church, are we not the body of Christ? And this is life in the Spirit that Paul writes about here in Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8 and verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ, the law, the principle or the authority, you could use that word. I think you could also use the word power. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law, the authority, the dominion of sin and death. He talked about that back in chapter six, didn't he? And in chapter seven. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. These are those who have not experienced the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. They've not been made free from the law of sin and death. They are still under the domination of that with which they were born, which is called the flesh. They've not been given anything more than that. Now, as we continue reading here, keep this in mind. That which is, uh, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And we, we, we always we have the flesh. And we will all, we, uh, there's a sense in which we could say, until we are glorified, you will have nothing. You will not eradicate the flesh. But Paul says, those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit, that's where our minds are. For to be carnally, fleshly minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You want life and peace? It comes from the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, who is working in you. And as you follow him, the result is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God. It can't be, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. He has done something and is doing something. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he's not of his. 
And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. You're still going to, by the way, that's that body of death that we've talked about recently, which, which really houses everything that we are. And it's still a body of death, even to the believer, it's going to die. But that's not the end of the story. But the Spirit is life. This is the Spirit that is in you. The Spirit is life because of righteousness. And by the way, it's not because of your righteousness. It's because of Christ's righteousness. And it is by that Spirit in you that righteousness is worked out in your life. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Do you see how dependent you are upon the Holy Spirit of God, dear saint? For every believer, every believer still lives with the flesh, but we are not in the flesh. And there's tension here. And you know the tension because you live it every single day. We've not yet been perfected in our promised, glorified, resurrected bodies. But dear saint of God, you have another spirit in you. A spirit that's created by the spirit of God. Romans 8 verse 2, 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 3. We are. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, Paul wrote ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. The Spirit that leads us is the Spirit of life in Christ. And do you hear the connection that I'm seeking to make here? That this is the same Spirit who led the last Adam. And what did the last Adam do? He always did the will of his father, but he wasn't living. He wasn't living with the corrupted portion of our flesh, was he? He always did the will of his father. He did not walk a path of independence. You understand that's why the first Adam fell? He chose to ignore God. He chose to go. He chose independence of God. A life of independence. I'm not going to walk in the spirit. I'm going to walk in the flesh. But Jesus didn't do that. He delighted to do the will of his father. Let me just throw this thought in here. When I say he delighted to do the will of his father, does that mean he was always On some sort of bubbly cloud nine of delight, in fact, visit the garden again. He was facing the will of his father, wasn't he? And yet he said, is there some way? Is there some other way? Remember that. He groaned. In fact, Hebrews chapter five says he prayed with tears. Brethren, that's where we are in this battle with the flesh. But we battle with the, with the, with the law of the spirit of life in Christ in us. His spirit in us leads us 
and enables us to gladly mortify the flesh that is still inclined to not please God. And you know, we are most happy and most joyful, truly, holy happiness and holy delight and holy joy like Jesus when we experience the fruit of the Spirit. And that is that it love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. It is, the, as the Scriptures say, a spirit of holiness in us. And we walk in His way and not the way of our flesh. You know, Christian, you know you are miserable. You are miserable when you are pursuing yourself. Because that's not love. When you're not denying yourself and when you're not giving, it's a miserable place to be. Oh, brethren, we have the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The grace. Paul, as he finished the second Corinthian letter, second Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 14, he sums it up this way. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion or the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We have the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is far greater than all of our sin, right? So that there is no condemnation. We do not live under the condemnation of sin. And we have the love of God, which will never let us go. But beloved, sometimes we are disconnected from that grace in our spirit and from that love in our spirit. And so we need the communion of the Holy Spirit. Do you hear what I'm saying? We need the fellowship. If we have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, we have fellowship with Jesus Christ who is full of grace and truth. And we have fellowship with our Father who is love. God is love. And we have fellowship. We're communing. And if, and if that is where we are in fellowship and communion with the Holy Spirit, our, we will, listen, that will produce victory over the flesh. Now there are other things you can do to not do the wrong thing. And I, as I was talking uh, with a brother um, earlier this week, it's always right to do right. It's never right to do wrong. Agreed? So you don't need to wait on some feeling before you do right. Do right. Always do right. But what I'm telling you is that becomes, that becomes old after a while. You will not have victory over your flesh that way. It won't happen. You're not going to have victory over the flesh by, by tattooing the Ten Commandments. I say this to the guys at prison. You're not going to, because some of them like to do that kind of stuff. That's not going to liberate you. Hanging phylacteries around your whatever. Posting things on the wall. Murals. Of all, that, that is not going to liberate you. You need something inside of you. You need the ministry. You need the fellowship. You need communion 
with the Holy Spirit. And if you have communion with Him, you will then begin to see much more clearly the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Father. And it will impact you. Well, let me wrap this up. Knowing that the Holy Spirit is vital to the life of Christ in us. I'm going to say this to you. We must be dependent upon Him. You say, you're telling me I've got to do something? I'm telling what the Scriptures reveal to us. You must be dependent upon Him in faith and prayer to the Father, through the Son, for more and more of His fruit. It's interesting, and I, I, I just, as I read, I read all the references in Scripture to the Holy Spirit. And what came to me is the Scriptures rather matter of fact regarding the Holy Spirit in believers. Rather matter of fact. He's given to us. He's in us. He leads us. He teaches us. Comforts us. Helps us. He comes upon us. He fills us. We're immersed in with Him. He empowers us. He produces fruit in us. And we perhaps could go on and on. But we do not control Him. And all that I could see is that my responsibility and yours is to respond to Him. And to respond to Him with that faith that He has given to you. We do hear this, don't quench the Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. But brethren, we've got to respond. Not with a stubborn unbelieving attitude. Read Hebrews chapter 3. You know, the Holy Spirit, it says, the Holy Spirit said to them. You remember that? Said to them. While they were wandering in the wilderness in Hebrews chapter 3. Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts. The Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit speaks to the seven churches in Asia. To every one of them. Jesus said this. He said, hear what the Spirit says to the church. Hear. Hear meaning hear with a response. Paul says in Galatians 6 that we sow to the Spirit. That's one that probably needs a little more fleshing out. But this is what came to my mind is this, that we sow to the Spirit when we follow His lead in faith. Because those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God, right? And we sow to the Spirit when we follow His lead and we receive from Him. So it's not so much something that you're doing. It's something that you are receiving from Him. And you receive from Him all the blessings that He gives that are ours from our Father in Christ Jesus. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, depend upon the Spirit of God who has been given to you. Depend upon Him. And you're going to struggle at that point. Paul did call it a fight of faith. But depend upon Him. Depend upon Him for spiritual understanding. That's what Paul prayed for in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Pray that. Give to me 
What is spiritual understanding? It could be a number of things, but it's at least deeper than simply knowing the information. Plant it deep within my heart, right? Where it changes me. It empowers me. Depend upon Him for help in your prayer. When you're struggling, depend upon the Spirit. Depend upon Him for guidance to apply the precepts of the law of love in your life. It doesn't do any good for you to know what the law of love is if you aren't able to do it. You need the Spirit who produces a a delight in doing the will of God as you resist the flesh and mortify sinful uprisings. By the way, just connecting with what I said a few moments ago, it's not always delightful to do the will of God, but there is something in you that desires to do the will of God. And then depend upon Him for increased fruit of the life of Christ in you. So let's follow our Savior's example who lived in the power of the Holy Spirit. May this coming year be a year of greater demonstration of the Spirit in our daily lives. But also in the church life. And sometimes, you know, this is what goes through my mind. I'm coming up here today and this morning. I believe it was the Spirit of God impressing me with this. You know, Kyle, it doesn't really matter where you are. Not everybody else is going to be where you are. So don't expect that everybody else is going to be right where you are. Right? So we have to relate to one another with with that spirit of love. Putting up with long-suffering, kindness. Just like Jesus. He didn't smack His disciples around. Right? And may He be pleased to come to us with special outpourings to revive us. Us. Individually, but us. With a fresh and fuller sense of our Father's love in Jesus Christ. That will truly empower us to live lives of holiness for His glory. God help us. Father help us.